Father, how can we thank you for the gift of your Son? Give us eyes to see. And give us ears to hear. Open our hearts to receive. In his name, amen. Please be seated. I think it's safe to say that it's a part of of human nature that we all like to win. I don't know of very many people who set out on doing much of anything thinking, I would love to lose. You know, we like to win. And and we also believe that, that we have the best chance of winning most of the time if we can connect ourselves, if we can get on the side of the the smartest or the most gifted or the most talented person. If we can get on their side, we raise our chances of winning significantly. I remember playground games as a child. You know, you'd be putting teams together and everybody knew who the best athlete was. I'd always try to get on their team because I wanted to win. Coaches spend endless hours and endless amounts of energy trying to recruit the best athletes to their team so they give themselves the best chance of winning a championship. You think about being a part of a a group project in a class. You know who the smartest people are, the people who get it. If there's anything you can do to get into their group, you want to do it. Because not only will it help give you a better chance of getting a better grade, you'll probably get there a lot easier than if you weren't on their team. When you can get connected with the best person in life, life tends to be a lot easier. We tend to win. I think there's something of that mindset in the way we think about God. We tend to believe that that when you're on God's side... Life is going to be much smoother than if you're not on God's side. I mean, the foundation of our faith is anchored in the truth that God reigns supreme. There is none like him. None can match him. None can come close to him. So if you're on his side, you've got a pretty good chance of winning and life being easier than if you're not on his side. There's something of that thinking in in how we visualize Christmas. Think about some of the songs that we sing. Hark how the bells, sweet silver bells, all seem to say, throw cares away. Christmas is here. Have yourself a very merry Christmas, a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. Well, you know, it is a joyous time. And and those are great songs. And we love them and we love to sing them. And and we ought to keep singing them. Because Christmas, Christ's coming, is a time of joy and happiness and wonder and celebration. And that ought to infect us. And it ought to bring to us a new sense of joy and celebration. But there is a danger in believing that the coming of Christ equals ease. And in the coming of Christ, our problems are eliminated. 
even for God's people. We would like to think that when Christ comes to our lives, that our life is easier and things are simpler. But they're not. We might actually discover that when Christ comes, when Christ gets personal in our lives, we might actually discover that life is just as confusing, just as messy. We face just as many struggles as before he got personal with us. Maybe even more. Just ask Joseph. You know, Matthew tells us Joseph's a, a good guy. He, he, Matthew says he, he's righteous. He loves the law of God. He lives to follow the law of God. God is extremely important to him and extremely important in his life. But not only is he good, he's nice. He's honest. He's a person of integrity. He's the kind of guy you want to do business with. The kind of guy you want to be friends with. He's the kind of guy you want your daughter to marry. You know, I, I know there are people who, and you probably know too, who, who do the right religious things. They go to church, they give, they, they read their Bible, they're involved in ministry. They do all the right religious things, but they don't seem very nice. You know, they, they, they come across as kind of hard and, and actually even mean-spirited sometimes. They're focused on doing the right things and on doing, doing church right and And they feel so strongly about it that sometimes they seem harsh and hard to us. And we have a tendency to avoid those kind of people because they're not all that pleasant to be around sometimes. But that's not Joseph. And Joseph is good and nice. And and that's what makes Joseph's part in the story so difficult to understand. He's a righteous man. He's good. And of all the people you think who might deserve a break from God, it would be Joseph. But it doesn't seem to work out that way. Now, there are some things that happen to us just because we live in a fallen world. Disasters strike. People people hurt us. People disappoint us. Things don't go the way we want them to. Life gets crazy sometimes. Jesus says it rains on the just and the unjust. There are things that simply happen in this world and happen to us because we live in a world that's not perfect and because we're not perfect. But I suspect that somewhere in the deep recesses of our minds, there's something that tells us if we follow God, if we walk on the path that God has lined out for us, If we're doing God's will, God will minimize those bad experiences. God will lead us to success and prosperity and to pleasant experiences. But you read Joseph's story and you find that sometimes following the way and the will of God can lead to messiness and confusion and humbling experiences. I suspect that Joseph feels like his life is really coming together quite nicely. He's not rich, but he does okay. More importantly, he's engaged to be married. 
It's an arranged marriage. They haven't spent a ton of time together, but Mary seems like a very nice girl. Everybody says so. She's nice. She's kind. She's very devout. And they're pledged to each other. So it's official. They just have to wait the appropriate time for the ceremony and and then after the ceremony to consummate their pledge. And as the months and the weeks and the days draw near, the thought of building a home and a family with Mary causes Joseph to think that life is pretty good. It's like a dream come true. He feels so blessed by God. Everything is just falling into place. Until the day Mary comes home from visiting her relative for a few months. And when Mary comes back to town, Joseph's world is turned upside down. We don't know exactly how Joseph finds out about Mary's pregnancy, but the the word that Matthew uses in verse 18 seems to imply that that Mary's not the one who tells Joseph. He finds out, either with his eyes or with his ears. But probably not because Mary told him. Can you imagine what kind of blow that would be to him? Nice, kind, devout Mary has betrayed him with another man. He's angry. He's hurt. And he's trying to figure out what he should do. In verse 20, the message talks about Joseph trying to figure a way out. I like that language. Because isn't that our natural human response to difficult circumstances? Trying to figure a way out. You know, you don't finish your homework and you realize you're caught. And you immediately you're trying to think, all right, what can I do to get out of this? I've not had that experience myself, but I've had people tell me about it. You know, you make a promise to your husband or your wife, to your son or your daughter, to your, your friend, to your roommate, and then you realize you can't keep that promise. What do you do? You're trying to figure a way to get out of it and save face and with as little damage as possible. You get stopped by an officer of the law. Or you... You do something that you realize you shouldn't have done. You get a poor grade. You help someone and they turn on you. And the most natural response in the world is to figure out a way to get out of it with as little personal damage as possible. That doesn't mean we're evil. It just means we're human beings. That's what human beings do. That's what Joseph does. Joseph knows that this pledge that he has with Mary is binding. Infidelity at this stage in their relationship is adultery. And he has two choices. He can either take Mary as his wife and let everyone think that the baby is his. Or he can file for divorce and cut his losses. 
And remember, Joseph is a good guy. He's a nice guy. But he's not stupid. And after some thought, he comes up with a plan and decides that he's going to divorce her. Exonerating himself, but he's going to do it quietly, privately, so that Mary doesn't have to go through all of the disgrace of a public divorce. And as Joseph goes to bed that night, he's come to the conclusion that that's a scenario that works. He's figured it out. As he sleeps, he dreams. And in his dream, an angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Joseph, I know you've got this all figured out, but God would like to make a few turns and twists in your plan. And all of a sudden, what was Mary's problem is now Joseph's problem. You think you have your life all figured out, and then Christ comes and everything is thrown into chaos. This perfect idea of how things are going to get worked out is now twisted and turned and no longer clear and perfect. And it doesn't even feel manageable anymore. Your children make decisions that wreak havoc for you. And so you think of a plan and you figure out a good solution. And then Christ comes and says, no, I want you to do this. Your parents make a decision that wreaks havoc in your life. And you work out a plan and you get it figured out. And Christ comes and says, no, I want you to do this. You've got the next stage of your life figured out. The plans are in place. It looks good. And Christ comes along and says, no, I want you to do this. And you look at this. And it's messy. And it's complicated. And it's confusing. It's all because Christ comes and says, I want you to do that. No wonder people sometimes are hesitant to follow God. No wonder people sometimes are hesitant to let Christ in. St. Teresa of Avila must have been a, a very interesting character to know. She's a, she was a deeply devout follower of Christ and a leader, highly respected leader of the 16th century church. When you read the stories of her life, you you get a sense that she doesn't exactly fit the image of of what we might think in our minds. One story is told of of a day when she was making a journey that she felt God was leading her to take to a certain destination. And on the way, she came to a stream that was swollen above its banks. It was the only way to get where she needed to go. The water was rushing, and with a great deal of fear and panic, she began to make her way into the stream. More than once, it almost knocked her over. But eventually, she made her way across. Great difficulty. That night, as she was lying down to sleep on her journey, she had a vision from the Lord. And in this vision, she said, Lord, she said, I don't understand. Was it, was, it really, was it really courteous and kind of you that you put me through that today? I mean, after all I've done for you, I was on a journey for you. I was taking this trip because you told me to take it. Was it really nice of you to put me through all of that? 
Was that necessary? He said, it was though the Lord said to me, but Teresa, that's how I treat my friends. And she said, well, Lord, no wonder you have so few of them. And sometimes we say, Lord, is that really necessary? For some reason, God has a tendency not to do things the easy way. He has a track record of leading his people through difficult circumstances and difficult experiences in order to get us where he wants us to be. But we keep asking, is it really necessary? Did Abraham really have to live as a nomad? Did Joseph have to be sold into slavery and falsely accused and incarcerated? Did the children of Israel have to face that stress of the Red Sea in front of them and and the Egyptian army gaining ground behind them? Did the prophets really have to be ridiculed, rejected? Did David have to flee from Saul and live as a vagabond in caves? Did did Daniel really need to spend the night in a, in a den of lions? Did Esther really have to come to the brink of disaster? Did Paul have to be beaten and imprisoned? Did John have to be exiled to the Isle of Patmos? Did Athanasius have to be exiled from, from Alexandria four times? Did Luther have to hide in castles? Did Wesley have to be ostracized from the established church? Did Mother Teresa have to serve on the streets of Calcutta? Lord, do I really have to go through this? Is it necessary? I mean, wouldn't Christ be a lot more appealing if those who followed him didn't have to go through all of this stuff? And in the back of our minds is this idea that, that we want the coming of Christ into our lives, into our world, to just clean up everything. And often, God leads us to the opposite. Often our world is turned upside down. Often God leads us into more messes than we could have imagined and more questions and difficulties than we might otherwise experience. Imagine the response of Joseph's parents and relatives and neighbors. Joseph, how could you? How could you disgrace us like that? How could you shame our family like this? I guess you aren't the person we thought you were. Imagine Joseph trying to explain. Who's going to believe that this is God's son, not his? Who's going to believe Mary's story? Who's going to believe his story? And even if they believe that God might act this way, who's going to believe that God would choose Mary and Joseph? This common unlikely, unconnected couple. I suspect you eventually just give up trying to explain. Must have made for an interesting trip to Bethlehem. You know, I I typically picture Mary and Joseph traveling alone to Bethlehem and, and, and being alone in the town filled with other people. But if Joseph had to go to Bethlehem. All of his family had to go to Bethlehem too. I suspect the town was was teeming with 
with Joseph's relatives. And maybe, maybe there's no place for Mary and Joseph in the end because the relatives said, we really don't want them here. And not out of spite, but just out of social respectability. We don't want anyone to think that we approve of what they've done. And you would think that if, if they had any kind of connection with the extended family, that when it came time for Mary's baby to be born, somebody would give up their room for her. And yet there's Jesus in a manger. And of course we realize that God isn't going to ask any less of us than he does of Joseph. If the first coming of Christ involves messiness and trouble, then the coming of Christ into our lives probably is not going to be much different. And I wrestle with that. I don't want that. I want Christ to uncomplicate my life. I want Christ to eliminate the the messes and the struggles of life. I want him to take me away from all of that. There's a tendency for us to think, Lord, I'm not perfect, but I'm doing my best to follow you. I'm certainly better than a lot of those people. What's going on here? Why does it feel like things are, are falling apart? Why am I still having to deal with all of this stuff? Is all of this really necessary? And I don't know the answer to all of that. But I'm convinced that one of the reasons God works this way is because he knows we are less inclined to want Christ for Christ and more inclined to want Christ because of what he can do for us. A few years ago, Will Willimon, who was for a long time dean of the chapel at Duke, wrote an article that he titled, It's Hard to Be Seeker Sensitive When You Work for Jesus. And on a billboard outside of town, he said he saw a sign that says, We've got what you're looking for. Come get it. And below it was the name of a local church and all the information about the church. And he said, Maybe it's because I work with young adults, but I thought to myself, I know what those people are looking for, and some of it's immoral and some of it's illegal. Is the church going to give them that? And he said, what I began to realize is that we have a tendency to transform Jesus into just another means of stroking my narcissistic ego. But Jesus is not simply about meeting our felt needs. He's also about rearranging our needs. Not only about fulfilling my desires, but about transforming my desires. He tells of going to a church service where the pastor and the people were were really working hard to to make Jesus accommodating and easy and, and telling people it's all about you. And he says, I came away wanting to stand up and say to people, look, if there are any seekers here, I promise you Jesus is 10 times more interesting than this. He said, one of the great things that happens is you come to church seeking consolation and comfort and, and something to take away of, of something take away the pain. And before the service is over, you get something so much better. You get Jesus. It's not a coincidence 
that as the angel and Matthew are explaining the coming of Christ and what God is asking of Joseph, that Emmanuel comes into the conversation. It's as though the angel is saying, Joseph, I know you're being called in to, to walk through the junk and the mire and, and the messy stuff of life for God, but that's only because God is willing to do that for you and more. God's not asking you to do anything more than what he is already doing. And in fact, that's precisely how you're going to be able to do it in the first place. Because of Emmanuel. Because God is with you. And that changes everything. God is with us. And that doesn't eliminate our immediate pain. doesn't remove the messiness of life. It doesn't mean that life is going to be all ease. But it does mean we can get through it. We can get through it because we trust him. I think the angel is trying to help Joseph understand. And say, look, this really isn't about you. It's about him. It's not so much about your life being neat and orderly. It's about something much, much deeper. It's about the one who is coming, who's going to alter everything in your life and in this whole world. It's not about God cleaning up your life. It's not about God making your life easy. It's about God being present in your life and transforming your life. Joseph, it's not about you. It's about him. And he's saying the same thing to us. Wes, it's not about you. It's about him. And God is calling us to trust him. And to believe that even when he leads us through the messy stuff, it's because it's about him in us. Transforming us. Doing something in us that isn't going to happen any other way. And he is going to call us to make decisions and to, to move in directions that are not natural to us as human beings. I thought of this yesterday as I just happened to read Dear Abby's column in the newspaper. I don't normally read Dear Abby, but for some reason yesterday I, I read it. And, and one of the letters was from a woman whose daughter had just gotten married. Her husband had left them 15 years before, had had very little contact with them, had supported them financially or emotionally. In fact, the only contact he'd really had was that a, a few years before, he had taken the two daughters' names and done identity theft and racked up thousands and thousands of dollars of bills that this woman writing the letter and her new husband had to pay off. Her daughter knew all about this. Her daughter hadn't had any contact with her father for years. And this, this woman writing and, and her new husband were paying for this lavish wedding. And about a week before the wedding... The daughter came to her mother and said, I'd like to establish a new relationship with my father. And this woman writing the letter said, I flipped out. And my daughter's response basically was, get over it. And so when the time for the wedding came, this woman and her husband were there, but they were treated poorly and rudely while this bride's father was treated like a king. And she said to dear Abby, my, my husband says you need to just forget this girl and get over it because she's just going to keep hurting you. 
What do you think? And Abby said, I agree with your husband. If you want to spare yourself years of pain and aggravation, listen to him. Because she's just going to keep hurting you. And I read that and I thought to myself, yeah, that's a smart thing to do. That's the sensible thing to do. That's the protective thing to do. That's our natural response. And then almost immediately, it was as though God was saying, but you know, if Christ were part of that situation, you couldn't respond that way. Because Christ would say, don't give up on her. Even though it's going to be hard and painful and probably really messy, you stick with her. You love her. You care for her. Don't let that go. And I don't know the kinds of circumstances and situations that God may be asking of you. What he might ask you to do and what he might ask you to say, where he might ask you to go. And I don't know how difficult what he's asking may be for you. But I know that despite how it looks on this side of it, and despite how it feels when you're in the middle of it, because Christ comes, it may still be messy, but you can get through it. Because God is with us. You see, we want ease. God wants relationship. We want success. God wants holiness. We want answers. God wants us to trust. We want life to be simple. God wants to give us hope. So we're really left with the same question that the angel poses to Joseph. Here's God's plan for you. Here's God's path for you. And I know it's a hard thing that I'm asking. But will you trust me? Gracious Father, give us courage to trust. Help us to see that Christmas becomes a joyous celebration, not because life is easy, but because in Christ you are with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.